Hello, everybody, and welcome to Eliminated, a Royal Rumble podcast. I'm your host, Bill, joined by, as always, Jim Boy Star. How you doing, Jim? Good. I am excited. This is one of the most important episodes of this podcast's existence because this is the episode that we're going to bring in the wheel. This is the last episode that we will be going in order, although theoretically 1994 can come up. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later on. And uh, yeah, just excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have a guest with us for this episode. Um, please welcome. Mr. Chris Harrington. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Hey, Chris. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and just maybe some background of the kind of wrestling fan that you are. Sure. Uh, so my name is Chris Harrington. I'm on Twitter at Mukigana, and I do a uh, podcast that I co-host called WrestleNomics, and I focus a lot on the economics and the business and the law and the intellectual property aspects of professional wrestling. Mm. And uh, you you wouldn't think it, but it has a, a strange amount of uh, people that actually care about that side of the business. So when you look at my desk right now, I have legal articles about independent contractor versus employee status. And I have uh, fiscal and analyst reports about WWE stock and stuff like that. So uh, we do a show every week on that. And uh, that's that's my area of expertise. And of course, I, I love professional wrestling. I enjoy it from around the world. And uh, yeah, I, I, I this was the first time I got to watch uh, this particular Royal Rumble. It was not in the world that I, I lived through. So it's kind of fun coming back as an adult and watching it. So when did you actually start? Um, I remember watching wrestling when I was a, really young, watching superstars when I was probably six or seven in the late 80s. And then I, I don't remember watching wrestling for a long time. And then I got back into it like a lot of people did in 97, 98, mm -hmm. especially when I saw kind of the really colorful luchadors and and, you know, saw the uh, the ice. The JCW type uh, jug juggalo wrestling with the the death matches and stuff like that and just all sorts of different things kind of caught my eye about watching FMW and whatnot and then in in college I, I started to really you know get on the internet just learn everything I could and ever since then I've been really hooked on the statistics and the the numbers aspect of wrestling so this was an interesting one for us to choose because uh, I I did a study years and years ago about you know kind of what was like the most important Royal Rumble and I had all this criteria about different things that I remember. This particular Royal Rumble came up very high, and it, and it surprised me, but watching it again for a second time, I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many former champions of major federations that are here in this Rumble. Mm -hmm. And I do want to mention to everyone that I actually had done a show with Chris uh, a while back at this point. Uh, we actually had talked about old Nintendo games, which was a really fun time. I don't know if you even remember that. That was a, a long time ago. Oh, absolutely! No, that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, I gotta yeah. uh, talk about my love for the game Palamedes. <laughs> yeah, and the last Flintstones talk, if I can remember correctly. Yeah. So, Bill, what else? What's going on during this period in the WWE slash WWF, as well as other promotions out All there? All right. Well, 1993. Well, there's a brand new show that just started. On the USA Network. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. It's called Monday Night Raw. Have you guys ever heard of this show? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think so. Okay. Well, it made its debut two weeks prior to the Royal Rumble at the Manhattan Center in New York City. So that's really 
the big thing with WWF. Um, also, um, Mr. Perfect is back in action. He has left Bobby Heenan. He is now feuding with Ric Flair. And Marty Jannetty has come back feuding with Shawn Michaels. So, a lot of returns there. Um, Bret Hart is the heavyweight champion going into the show. Shawn Michaels, the intercontinental champion. Money, Inc. are the tag team champions. In WCW, Vader is the WCW heavyweight champion for the second time. The world tag team champions are Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. The world television title is vacant. This title will be vacant for like another two months or so. And the United States champion is Dustin Rhodes. And we finally get to welcome ECW onto the show. But this is before they became extreme. They were Eastern Championship Wrestling at this point in time. The ECW champion is the Sandman. Yes, he was there from pretty much the beginning. So he's the champion there. The tag team champions are the Super Destroyers. They were actually the first ECW tag champions, so who knew? And the world TV champion at this time is Glenn Osborne. All right. Um, so there is in it's weird because there is a big deal about the Royal Rumble match because the winner gets a championship match, and this is the first one that this will happen with and continue the trend. But also at the same time, it there's parts of me that makes made it feel like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about that, this is, like you said, this is the first one where the winner gets the title shot. It It is important in that aspect. But at the same time, if you think about it, with some of these wrestlers, it's like, how did they get in there, you know? Well, and and there was a lot of other, you know, kind of behind the scenes flurry of activity going on here because Mm -hmm. you just had the WBF folding back in 92. You have, uh, you know, Titan Sports is going to sue Ultimate Warrior about one month from now. Uh, Titan Sports is also going to sue the New York Post and Geraldo Rivera. Uh, this this is still coming off of the whole uh, steroid indictment and the distribution charges. So there's also kind of this weird point where you, you have the changes going on between the old guard and the new guard of, of what WWF was going to be. And of course, then with the return of Hogan still coming up, that it was a company that I think was very much it's it's so strange the level of talent where you kind of have what I'd consider kind of big stars and then right next to them you have, you know, the skinners of the world. Yeah. And it's just like they're all in the same place. And some of these people, this is the only time as far as I can tell in their career they ever were in the ring together. Like I don't think Jerry Lawler and Tenru were ever in the ring together besides this one match. Right. Which is very true. It's very possible. I mean, I can't think of it. Um, and, and I think there's another couple like odd combinations in there as well during this. Yeah, that was, that was actually how I was entertaining part of myself while I was watching this match as I was going on cage match and just kind of looking up people and being like, was this the only time these two ever met? And like, yeah, like uh, Tenru and, and Lawler was one of them. And there, there's a lot of other, you know, kind of weird ones yeah. with Carlos Colon also in there. You know, someone who mm. very much you don't see very much in, in uh, North American wrestling besides Puerto Rico, obviously. 
And I don't even think we had any kind of pre-match promos for this one either. No, there were none. I think this marks the first year that we haven't had that. Is that correct, Bill? Um, well... Maybe 88. 88. 88. They, and, and they might have had some of them on television leading up to this, where the guys might have been picking numbers or doing something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is definitely... It stood out to me for that. And, of course, this is a Hoganless show, so that kind of stuck out to me since we started on 88. I know that Hogan wasn't in the Rumble in 88, but he was still on the show. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty glaring to me. Uh, yeah, the winner gets a title shot. Let's talk about the one pre-match thing that did happen. (laughs) So apparently Caesar came out. Yes, he did. WWF got a time machine and brought Caesar and Cleopatra to the show. Yeah. Uh, he reads from his scroll? Uh, yeah, he does. That the winner faces the WWF champion in... Las Vegas, where WrestleMania is going to be. And I thought they were going to have Caesar basically read all the rules, but he really doesn't. In fact, the two-minute intervals announcement is, like, basically a throwaway line from Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. That's even two minutes. Now, granted, they have not gotten to the point yet, this company has, where that's changed at all. It's always been two minutes. I know that changes a couple of times in the Rumble's existence. But so far, they're pretty on point with that. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to say, with this, the whole Caesar bit, because this is the point in time where the historians say this is where WWF got really cartoonish. This could not be any more cartoonish. But part of it isn't because of WWF. It's because of where these people came from, from Caesar's Palace, which is a themed hotel and entertainment, you know, uh, place. And it's like you couldn't have fit a better theme than Caesar and Cleopatra, Mm -hmm. if you really think about it. Chris, what were your thoughts on this whole Caesar situation? Well, you know, one of the centurions who was out there was Louis Spicoli, uh, who would later be Rad Redford and, and go to WCW and, and die at a young age. But uh, uh, just kind of – it's one of those cases where you have – what is it? Bill Alfonso is one of the referees you see on the outside mm-hmm. on this one. So it's just another one of these cases where a lot of this WWF pay-per-views at the time, you'll just see people and be like, hey, that's DDP driving a car. That's uh, – you know, there's, there's a lot of – hey, that's Shane McMahon. He's acting as a ref. You know, it, you, it's, it's always entertaining to me just to see kind of who people turn into over time. And then, of course, just to see – this was a time when the body that WWF wanted was very much evolving, is that you had the transition to Warrior. The Warrior, did they didn't feel that it was going very well. And at the same time, Warrior was very difficult to work with and ended up, like I say, in litigation with WWF less than a month from now. And so you, you have this case where they have Bret Hart, and it's really the transition to smaller guys and maybe guys that aren't as roided up as much. And so it's just it's funny to say whether or not it's cartoony because you could always argue it always was cartoony body types or cartoony uh, work rate or cartoony something. I I don't ever think that there's ever an aspect of WWF that didn't feel like it was somehow produced by an entertainment company. You know, the fact that Vince always loves the fact he's an entertainment company that happens to make professional wrestling, even though everyone thinks of him as a professional wrestling company. Right. Um, But but entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. And so I don't think Vince ever was uh, ashamed of having a silly gimmick. Because even when you go back to those Trump pay-per-views with uh, uh, WrestleManias, 
you know, they still have that over-the-top aspect to it because he's best friends with Donald Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with you. And I want to kind of pick you, before we get into the Rumble match, uh, which we're going to get to in a moment here, uh, I want to kind of mention something that you said uh, a little while ago, Chris, where, you know, it definitely feels like there's a change in regards to, especially since me and Bill have been watching these in order up until this episode. Uh, whereas, like, I remember Josiah was on for 1991, and he had mentioned, like, he was starting to feel a change, and I don't think I really said anything, because I didn't really agree then. Um, and then even 92, I wasn't really thinking that, but this one, I was like, yeah, because you have, like, you know, your guys like Ted DiBiase, but then you have, like, a Yokozuna... It's a weird to me. It's a very weird transitional time from what I've been watching, um, and I think you nailed it uh, nailed it on the head there, Chris. This definitely felt like that to me. Yeah, for sure. And then and you have guys like Shawn Michaels and Janetti and and Bret Hart and Razor who were actually some of the best wrestlers of WWF of this era, and a chance to kind of do some pretty good showcase matches earlier on the card. So it, it's a fun card in different parts even like the beverly brothers match makes you think oh wow why didn't they not get a run with the tag belts they were pretty fun mm-hmm. all right bill let's unless you have something to add let's start with the rumble match uh just real quick what did you guys yeah. think of the uh, cleopatra thumbs up thumbs down i'm confused because i didn't think for some reason i didn't think cleopatra was with caesar in the actual stories but then what do i know because i didn't even know what a centurion was right. until well, Chris I, just said what it was. Well, I, I, I meant that came out at the Rumble. Like, do you think she was good looking or not good looking? I mean, she thought she was okay. I just All don't right. know why she was out there though. Like, yeah. why couldn't Caesar just do it by himself? It's not like <laughs> she. It's not like she added to it. And by the way, I liked how Caesar proclaimed that everyone that goes to WrestleMania would be given. Food and drink, and yep. <laughs> I'm like, I guarantee you, everyone that went to WrestleMania had to pay for their own food and drink. Exactly. I don't think that's true. <laughs> you know, I think Vince just likes pretty women and likes to put pretty women on television. So, you know, that's his gimmick. That's very true. And it's worked for him in the past, absolutely. All right. Indeed. Let's let's get into it. The 1993 Royal Rumble match and one through five. Number one is Ric Flair, two, Bob Backlund, three, Papa Shango, four, Ted DiBiase, and five, Brian Nobbs. And I have, during this segment, eliminated Papa Shango. Chris, why don't you start the discussion on this section? Well, the most important part is that you have Ric Flair versus Bob Backlund in 1993 meeting in the same ring. And this is so historic if you think about where this is coming from, because you have the WWF heavyweight champion and you have the NWA World's heavyweight champion meeting in a ring against each other. And this happened before. This happened in 79. This happened in 82. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously, and they would do count out or double count out finishes. But really, this is one of the very few times in history these two men ever faced against each other. And so for old school fans, this was earth shattering. The fact that you could have Backlund versus Flair, Backlund coming off of a, you know, several years of kind of uh, going to Japan and just kind of fading out of the limelight uh, and coming back and being a big presence in WWF. And then you have Ric Flair. And so their opening segment there 
is uh, kind of the epitome in my mind of two guys going at it in a way that if you're an old school fan, it's really cool. If you're not an old school fan, you might be thinking, why are these old guys in the ring right now? And, you know, Bob Backlund's standing there with his super wedgie, and it's just, it, it can, it can, if, if you're into it, it's going to be really cool. But if you're not, I could also imagine that there's kind of confusion from a younger fan standpoint. Then number three comes in is Papa Strongo, and like, that's like the exact opposite of, of what you have with kind of the, the, the Minnesota baby face of, of Bob Backlund, the Minnesota trained baby face of, of Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you have this super gimmick Charles Wright character coming in and he barely lasts 30 seconds before <laughs> he's taken out. Uh, and, you know, I always wonder whether if you're one of those guys, you love it or you hate it. Cause it's like you go there and you do 30 seconds of work and you're done for the night. But on the flip side, at least you you got to put on your your face paint and make it a, make it a, an appearance that mattered. There's a lot of other people get eliminated later on in the show that I totally forgot about until I looked at the results. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course you have Ted DiBiase coming in, and DiBiase doesn't wrestle a, a heck of a lot longer after this, uh, if I recall. Like he really you know shows up as a commentator in '94 and then goes to WCW and whatnot, but he stops wrestling not too much longer. Yeah. So it's one of the last times we get to see DiBiase when he still seems like he can work some. And then uh, we, we went all the way through number five, right? And number five was Brian yeah. Nobbs, and he gets such a big pop, and mm-hmm. I was flabbergasted by this. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, to be honest with you. Um, I have down here, first off, Backlund, where is his song? <laughs> he doesn't have one yet. Does he never? Did he never have a song? Not until he did that whole gimmick where he was going to run for president of the United States. Oh, and then that one was wasn't that just the president song? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I also have down that Backlund looked happy that he's just alive. Mm-hmm. He's just happy to be alive. Now, how old is Backlund in this? Forty-three. How do we know that? <laughs> they say it like 43 times. They say it so many times. They relentlessly, <laughs> on commentary, Bobby Heenan and uh, Gorilla Monsoon keep saying, 43 years old! Can't believe 43-year-old guy's doing this! Can't believe 43-year-old man's doing that! He's 43! Which is funny, as we'll get to later in the match, because there's actually people that are older than him in this match, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but that they don't make a big deal. And nowadays, 43 doesn't even seem that old when you think about the fact that Kane... And Triple H and a lot of other people who are well over 43 are working quite a lot in uh, WWE. I mean, I would argue that some of them shouldn't be, but that's another story for another day. One thing that I also think that's funny about that is in not even, let's see, two or three years, they would make fun of WCW constantly for having older people on their show. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's very much... The, the thing where you can see Vince has always been an age guy. He's always felt that people are too old to to be on television, that they're too old, that they're going to hurt, hurt the company by being that old. And yet, you know, he still is someone who at different times here has said, well, if it's marketable, I'll go with it. And so mm-hmm. this is an example of him being marketable. In fact, I think Jerry Lawler, I'm just looking up the numbers now, Jerry Lawler that year, I think he also was 43 yeah, oh, uh, and I think yeah, and yeah, he would have been just under forty four at the time. So I mean, <laughs> just yeah. to put in perspective, and Flair's almost forty three, I think, at this time as well. So yeah, you know, to so be fair, Flair, Flair is always one of those guys that I, even as a kid, always thought he was old. Yeah, and and Flair, and and it's, this is the case where like Backlund has a really weird relationship with Vince, has a really weird relationship with with um. 
uh, the WWF. And as a New York-based company, it makes a lot of sense. In Sacramento, California, I don't think Bob Backlund's a real big star. But if they were doing this in MSG, you know, people would be losing their minds. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of funny where it's also a weird case where the way the company viewed him was very different than what a national audience might view him as. Right. Uh, I also have another note here, and this kind of made me smile because they mentioned a past rumble. Is Monsoon mentioned about DiBiase buying a higher number mm-hmm. yeah. a few years ago? <laughs> I enjoyed oh, that. and Consistency, guys. Thank you. Yes. And and the last piece of this I'd just say is that this Flair is, what, two days away from his last match? He basically does this. He does the Loser Leaves Town match on Raw, and then I think he's done with the company. That sounds about right, yeah. yeah. And so it's just kind of remarkable to me that, you know, he's still working pretty darn hard. <laughs> like, he's uh he's doing all his signature bumps. He's he's the Ric Flair that you imagine. Like, he's not phoning it in for his second to last night on the, the company. Mm-hmm. Right. Bill, what do you have for this section? I don't think we got a chance to ask you. Well, first thing I wrote jokingly was this is the AARP Rumble because you have Flair <laughs> and Backlund started. But it, it's with all due respect to both of those guys. Uh, Bill, um, how old is Bob Backlund again? I think he's 43. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, Something I noticed is early, because I watched this on the network, they edited the whole like WWF out for like the first half of this match like whenever they say like oh he was a former wwf champion it's like oh bob Backlund, former silent champion yeah like they edited that out a lot but something that i didn't write down that i also noticed and um this is going to go back to a little bit of history you know you'd mentioned uh chris uh Flair being a former NWA champion, Backlund being a former WWF champion. Those two and DiBiase, at one point during their careers, were also the Missouri heavyweight champion in the St. Louis territory. So right there, you have champions galore. You know, right oh, yeah, I, I, I think I counted at least 10 major company champions who had been champions by this point mm-hmm. with a major company. Uh, in this match, and out of 30, that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else you got, Bill? Uh, well, like Chris pointed out earlier, Bill Alfonso's out there, and he looks like an, a decent person, like, look-wise. Like, <laughs> okay. like, he doesn't have wow. six teeth out, and, you know, he doesn't sound annoying whatsoever, so, <laughs> you know, at least Bill's keeping himself healthy at this point in time. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 the case of everyone in wrestling. You know, Cornette was a photographer, and everyone else, they did whatever the role was that they needed to do. Jim Ross used to be a referee. Like whatever you had to do to be in wrestling, some guys would always be willing to do it. And so, like you'll you'll see people like Bill, who they're on the periphery for years and years and years, and then they finally get a good manager gig, and and then they get their chance to have that whistle annoy the hell out of us. Mm-hmm. I, I should mention right now that I did not see this rumble before. So this is, but at this point now, after this episode, then there's only, I believe, three rumbles I haven't seen. So going into this random jumping around Royal Rumble wheel, uh, it's like going to be a different show in some ways for me because now it's going to become remembering stuff. Mm-hmm. But. In regards to this one, Brian Knobs at number five, uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert, 
Jerry Sags is in later on, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, he is. Great, so they decided, yeah, this is the year we're going to put both Nasty Boys Finally. in. Finally. Because last year it was only... Sags. No- Sags. And the year before wasn't only Knobs. Mm-hmm. So, good for them. Yeah. Both of the Nasty Boys make it into the Rumble for, for no reason that they both were not in the other two, the previous two. I have no for idea why. whatever odd reason it was. Yeah, because didn't Jerry Sags fight, like, Sam Houston or something? Yeah, like, in a dark match, and then Brian Knobs, well, I think, was injured, in, like, the year before, so... It, it was just a weird, weird, like, reasoning. Chris, who is your preferred nasty boy? Oh, well, that's a great question. Have to hold, that, um, hold that thought. All right, and that's the first timer. So our next group of five, six, Virgil, seven, Jerry Lawler, eight, Max Moon, nine, Tenru, and ten, Mr. Perfect. And I have during this segment eliminated Brian Knobs and Max Moon. Uh, I will start the discussion. We'll come back to Chris's favorite nasty boy in just a little bit. (laughs) What the hell was Jerry Lawler wearing? (laughs) It looked like something a five-year-old drew. (laughs) I did have that down. He's got colorful trucks on for that one. It, and, and you know, it, it's important to remember that he only began working on Superstars in December of 92. Mm-hmm. So he has not been with the company for very long. And he, prior to this, had made it like a blood feud that he would never go to WWF, that they were trash, that, you know. If you saw all the things he said, he actually one time sued a Harley race yep. for calling himself the king. So, so and in Memphis, he was not allowed to call himself the king because he, he claimed that that would confuse the public because they all knew that he was the king of, of Memphis. And so I, I just I'm, it's it's fascinating because you think about it. This is actually one of the biggest stages for Jerry Lawler to be exposed to the WWF audience at the time. Sure. And and the lore is that someone took a dump in his crown right before he went out. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but you'll you'll notice he is not wearing necessarily a, a full king attire. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. never heard that one, actually. I've never heard that rumor. Uh, it's it's one of those stories where, you know, I who knows what the actual event was that happened at, but you'll, you'll see it sometimes attributed to this show at this match. Mm-hmm. So I want to let the Chris's mind stay on this favorite Nasty Boy thing. I'm not going to – I decided now I'm not going to revisit it until the other Nasty Boy comes out. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you for it right now. I was a little confused about Tenru, and maybe this is because I wasn't – this is, like, right before I started watching wrestling. I, I, I started at WrestleMania, I believe, so, like, I start, really started watching wrestling at WrestleMania 10. I had always been under the impression that Tenru specifically came, back, came in with the great Kabuki to help destroy The Undertaker a year from now, basically. Yeah. Was Ted Rue a regular at this point, no. or is this a one-shot deal? This is a one-shot, because... He, he had worked WrestleMania the year before, mm-hmm. uh, where he he, to- he teamed with uh, Koji Kato, and they Hand wrestled uh, Demolition. Yeah. <laughs> Hand towel. Yeah. Um, 
but no, it was rare. I mean, it was also because SWS was around and that was Super World Sports. That was a Japanese promotion. And a lot of times they were kind of working with WWF mm. and bringing people over and doing things. So I think that was part of what was going on here. Mm. Of course, later they'd go on to have war, which was wrestle and romance and also would sometimes have like random people kind of coming through. But I think everyone was baffled by Tenru being part of this. But it just goes to the the. In a certain way, it's perfect because there's so many random people from different regional areas of the world that are here at the show. So you have, you know, Lawler, the king of Memphis. You have Tenru, a guy from Japan. Later, we're going to have Cologne from Puerto Rico. Like, it, it's kind of fun in that way. Mm. And I think that's what sticks out to me, Bill, because I think this is the first situation where we really don't have – where we have different people that aren't necessarily with the company on a full-time basis, is it not? Yeah, this is a very diverse, like, grouping. Like like, like Chris said, Lawler had just started doing commentary for Superstars. Tenru does this one-off. Um, Cologne, we'll see later on. Um, I mean, there's just this randomness... Mm-hmm. where some of it is good. I think this is a good one right now because it's early on. And then, like, there are other points where it's like, how in the, you know, why is he coming in this deep, you know? Right. I also have, once again, maybe the most important rule that the WWE should have stuck with with the Royal Rumble. At one point, the referee counts for Flair to get back in the ring. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bring it up again because of... All my problems that I have with the Royal Rumble that's going to be that I'm going to be uh, mentioning in future episodes, a lot of them could be thwarted if they just kept that rule, where if you, oh, yeah. if, you if you don't if you you have to have the, the ten count. Like nothing bothers me more than the I didn't go over the top rope and I'm going to walk around the outside and do whatever I want for the next hour and that somehow counts. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a great example of, of how you could fix that without necessarily throwing it out completely. And they had done it before because the first person that they we saw them do it to was Rick Martell. Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, – I don't remember which one it was. Do you remember, Bill? I think it was 91. I, I want to say it's 91 too. Um, so – but then they didn't really do it at all for 92. And now here we are at 93 and it's back. And like I said, it should definitely have been enforced. I also have down that Heenan loses his mind yep. when Mr. Perfect comes out. Mm-hmm. He does, yeah. And, and you know, this was the last pay-per-view to have uh, Monsoon and, and Heenan together yeah, on a, a WWF thing. And so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the very client, the very, uh, the nadir of that entire run. Mm-hmm. And it's a little sad, too, because Gorilla, like we talked about in the last episode, how Gorilla was so on point with Bobby throughout the commentary. Here, I think Gorilla's a little mixed up. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, at one point, and I don't know if this was, like, legit or if they were just doing it to, you know, take off of each other. Like, they're doing the, oh, it's so loud in here, I can't hear you, bit. And I'm like, it's not that loud at all in the arena. Right. Yeah, it was only 16,000 people, which is a good number, but it's not like it's a, you know, 30,000 person arena or something. Right. That's interesting because I did have certain times during the match that I felt the announcers, and I know that this is what they're supposed to do regardless, but I do feel like they made it seem like 
things were better than they actually were and more interesting oh, yeah. than they actually were. Um, for sure, for sure. Which, and it's it's the change of styles kind of between a, a little bit of a faster pace and a little bit of a slower pace, and, and you just have that weird mix of guys. I mean, Max Moon interacting with these people it is just so bizarre. You want to talk about cartoonish <laughs> characters. Crowd goes right. mild for Max well, the, Moon. <laughs> well, the other thing is this, like, because I'll argue right, right now that Chris has sold me more on the Ric Flair, Bob Backlund starters than the show did itself. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't was, know any of that. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird sort of thing where it's clear that that's not the story Vince likes to tell because Vince never liked telling the whole Ric Flair real world's champion story. Mm-hmm. They were always very skittish with it, and they didn't really like to make it a big deal about Rick being their champion. Um, but, yeah, I, I always think it's, it's one of those where, like, as a trivia guy or as a guy who knows, like, the animosity Lawler had towards WWF, Ric Flair had towards the WWF, Bob Backlund did at one point, it's kind of like the reconciliation rumble in, in one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very Bill, true. Bill, what do you have for this section? Um, I only had one other note. Well, actually, I had two other notes. The first one is during this part when Perfect and Flair are fighting each other, I wrote down that we get the first in-show ad, and what I mean by that is they're advertising a t- like they're advertising something on a show during, or you know, for the, an upcoming show during the pay-per-view because they mention the next night on Raw, Flair and Perfect are going to face each other, and whoever loses leaves the WWF. And I don't remember watching the previous five them mentioning during the match that, oh, hey, these two guys are going to face each other in the upcoming, you know, Saturday night's main event, or in this case, Monday Night Raw. So I had that note down. Which is true. I, I agree with you. That definitely did not happen on previous episodes. And, then, and nor, nor did they have a, a taping schedule that was really conducive to it, because true. obviously... You know, they, they were doing syndicated shows for the most part. Or they had USA, but it was kind of a, a job. Like, the, the USA show that they were showing uh, was, was more like a, a Superstars-type show, and so it wasn't the big angles. And the other note that I had, and, and, and I made this, like, a general note, Jim. It's not towards a specific Hall of Fame that you do not recognize. Right, sure. But, <laughs> but I wrote down, after Noms gets eliminated, hey, there's three Hall of Famers. And Virgil. Though Virgil does have like a a, a a house of fire when he comes in and gets in, in with uh, DiBiase. He like really DiBiase's does. selling for him and whatnot. He really does. I think maybe like I'm, I'm looking at this list here. I feel like... Eight, eight, seven, six, All right. And now we go to 11 through 15. 11, Skinner. 12, Coco Beware. 13, Samu. 14, The Berserker. And 15, The Undertaker. And I have during this segment eliminated Flair, Skinner, Lawler, Perfect, Samu, and Tenru. And the first note I have here is Coco's baggy pants. (laughs) This is super high energy uh, Coco Beware phase, yes. And super big. I, I, I made the. I wrote like when he was coming down because the way he was running, I was like, "Is that Coco or is that Urkel?" Because Urkel had those suspenders and the really high pants, and I was wondering if Cro- if Coco was trying to emulate Urkel in that or not. I think you're doing a Saba Simba joke, kind of, where we're blaming 
them for referencing something that doesn't even exist yet. Because I don't think Urkel was on the air yet, yeah. was it? Yeah, 93. Oh, I thought it was later than that. I'm sorry. Yeah, All right. Urkel's on. All right. Uh, I also, here, this is a great question that I hope one of you caught the answer to, because I certainly didn't. Gorilla says to, after Flair's out, Gorilla says to Heenan that Heenan owes him something for <laughs> yeah. Flair being out. And I wrote down, does he? Did I miss something? I don't know. I think they just were playing off the fact that Heenan was always so high on the fact that Flair was going to win it all and and just made made such a big deal about it all the time. Um, so, no, I don't think there was a, a, a real bet, but I think it was just kind of them screwing around. Mm-hmm. And why is Lawler so determined to get perfect out? I, I just I, he probably <laughs> thought that's his next feud. I don't know. He, he knows perfect's going to lose his opponent after the next night. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gorilla was against this, by the way. Right. But apparently was fine with Hogan eliminating exactly. Boss Man. Back in uh, 80, 89. Yes. The Big John stud win. Uh, okay. What do you have, Chris? Um, You know, you have two guys who just sued uh, WWE. You have the Berserker, John Nord, and you have uh, Coco Beware. They both just uh, lost in their concussion lawsuit. So they're, they're on my mind right now because uh, that was going on. And you have Skinner. And I think Skinner is, to me, just the epitome of a guy who was part of the WWF and for whatever reason ended up being a trainer. And I just cannot think of a more like not even a mid card, like low, high, low card guy to ever learn from. And it's just like he's such a sleeper guy, not a sleeper hit. Just like literally you want to fall asleep when you see Skinner involved in something. (laughs) Um, But I enjoyed that. I enjoy seeing, you know, Samu come out. out, uh, Was it Afa who's is the manager in that one? And so Alpha, you know, kind of taking him by his hair and and chucking him in the ring. And just uh, later, of course, seeing Rikishi as Fatu is just kind of like a mind-blown thing when you realize how young he really is in this case. But, mm. you know, I, I kind of feel like the the first group of people is your old school guys because you got Flair and Backlund. Your next group of people is your middle guys because you have at least Perfect and uh, Virgil and Lawler, who's new. And then you kind of have your newer guys here, because you have Skinner and you have Berserker and, and some of the uh, Coco Beware that are, like, kind of newer faces somewhat to uh, – well, I guess Coco's been in the company for a while at this point. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's just like he, it's the transition from being the Birdman to high-energy Coco. And uh, I it, I was intrigued. And, of course, uh, we, we finally get it number 15 uh, there – that, that the Undertaker's coming in, and just the pop the Undertaker gets is, is oh, remarkable. And then we also had at one point Berserker and Backlund fighting on the floor, and Backlund got knocked out. Um, Bill, what else do you have? Well, I wrote, when Flair gets eliminated, it is a huge pop. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, and it really goes back to the previous year, because he had gone from number three all the way to the end, and then here he starts at number one, and he lasts almost 20 minutes. So if you combine the two times, he's in the Rumble collectively for almost an hour and a half, which is a remarkable feat. Um, and then one of my highlights of this show, and... Well, that's what it is, the sirens. No. It's got Fucking sirens coming si- <laughs> yes. Fucking sirens. <laughs> no, um, okay. Uh, Chris, I, I've had this thing on the show where Jake Roberts 
almost every time he has been in the Rumble has attempted a DDT. Never hit it. <laughs> Jerry Lawler hits a freaking DDT <laughs> in this match, and I pop. And I'm like, finally, <laughs> finally, you couldn't do it, Jake, but Jerry the King Lawler could. It, it was a great moment. And then while um, Perfect was eliminated, Gorilla also mentioned Virgil got eliminated, and I was like, nobody watched Virgil out. <laughs> so if Virgil was smart... He could have snuck his way back in because <laughs> the camera never caught Virgil get eliminated. I don't think the refs ever caught Virgil get eliminated. So it was like Gorilla told on him, like, oh, Virgil's out. Berserker got rid of him. Um, oh. yeah, you yeah. know, were you sad not to have a Jim Duggan in this match? This is exactly where I'd imagine Duggan would have been. Yeah, I missed him a little bit. I'll be honest with you, I did. I thought, if I remember correctly, he was originally one of the 30. And then, he probably was, because he comes out with that great music video later yeah. in, in like two or three months. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and he's wrestling Yokozuna not long after this. So yeah. it, it, it's it's maybe it's just because they figured that they were going to have to make it uh, some kind of a, a, a America versus Japan gimmick, and they just wanted to, to leave it for a couple weeks from now. But it is weird to me some of the people you have in this match, the uh, you know the Damian Dementos of the world, and you don't have like a Duggan. Right. You know, why don't we take this time, since I know we have a few minutes here, Bill, why don't we quickly go over what happened on the rest of the card, since we try to fit that in somewhere. All right. Uh, he, the Steiner brothers made their pay-per-view debut for the WWF. They defeated the Beverly brothers. It would be the Beverly's last pay-per-view match. Shawn Michaels defeated Marty Jannetty to retain the Intercontinental title. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated the Big Boss Man in Boss Man's last pay-per-view match for the WWF for like five and a half years. Uh, Bret Hart successfully defended the WWF title, beating Razor Ramon. And we had the long-awaited debut of the narcissist, Lex Luger. It was a highlight of Heenan's career. Yep. Well, and and it's a fascinating, like, from a legal standpoint, it's fascinating because what they did is they signed him, but when they signed him, he had a non-compete from Turner. So the way they got around it is they signed him to a WBF contract. Mm-hmm. To the And so they basically said, well, we're not using him as a wrestler. He's a bodybuilder. And so it, it's funny because it is, yes, his actual debut, but it, it's an interesting way that they kind of skirted by for so long. And the fact that now WBF is over and basically Turner doesn't care that uh, he can just be a wrestler. Yeah. I, I do have to say, with the Luger segment, I really enjoyed the music in it. Because, like, when they first show him, he has, like, this bodybuilder-type music that you probably would have gotten from one of those exercise videos from, like, late 80s, early 90s. And it's really catchy. And then the the theme that they used when they ended it, which would be his theme for a while, is also another good theme. I wish they put that out on a future uh, release for iTunes, because those yeah. are two good songs. I like those. Why is it that this, with exceptional, I think, one year, they always seem to feel like they need to have a segment? That's a good question. I mean... Cause yeah, I'm trying to think of the uh, the first one was the worst one in my opinion. Yeah, the, the first the one was the Tino you know, Bravo. Yeah, right. What was '89? I'm trying to remember. '89 was one... the Pose Down. Okay, then '90 was the Brother Love Show. 
91 was... The Sherry interview with the Warrior. Okay, and then there wasn't for 92, right? Right. So, yeah. Well, it, it's, I think it's in line with Vince's philosophy, which is you have to cool the crowd down after a hot match before we do the big thing. And that's why, you know, it used to be the filler match. Sometimes they'd call it the viscera slot or something where they would just put on, like, kind of the lousy, lousy match between the, the the two big matches. Or something that used to be the women's match for years and years or the bathroom break match. But I, I think that's the idea behind it is that Vince has always been of the mindset that you can't have two big things one after the other. So if you're going to have the, the WWF World Heavyweight Championship match, you got to have something else before the 60, the 30-man Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so like I said, I was I'm wondering about that. I wonder if the how long that tradition continues moving forward. Right. Um, so yeah, I think probably we're just about ready. Go ahead. No, what? I was gonna say probably not much longer. Eight, seven, six, Alright. Sixteen through twenty. 16, Terry Taylor, 17, Damian De- uh, Demento, 18, IRS, 19, Tatanka, and 20, Sags of the Nasty Boys. And I have, during this segment, eliminated Taylor, Coco Beware, DiBiase, Berserker, and The Undertaker. This is a very important segment for this particular episode. So let's just start it off, start off right. Chris, who is your favorite Nasty Boy? Well, you know, it matters. I think I love um, – so you have Jerry Sags, you have Brian Nobbs, and no one can figure out how to spell either of their names. Is there two Gs in Sags? Is there two Bs in Nobbs? Uh, I got to go with uh, Brian Nobbs overall just because in, in the future he shows up in more Hogan-related shenanigans. And so uh, I'm going to have to go with Brian Nobbs as the two. And my favorite segment was probably when they started showing up in TNA – and just being absolutely terrible there. But the idea of just seeing them, you know, be terrible in TNA was very amusing to me at the time. Especially when they wrestled the Dudleys. I don't know why. For some reason, I got a flashback to one of my favorite Nobs Hogan things from Hogan Knows Best. Where Hogan and Nobs are in a... They, like, compete against Brooke and her friends in, a, in like, a maze. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to climb over things. <laughs> they're trying, like ah, uh, good yep. times. Or the oh, the spring break one was pretty good too, where Hogan just like randomly started posing during spring break. I forgot why he was there. It wasn't because it was Hogan. It was because he was concerned about Brooke and her friends or something like that. So he, so he enlisted the help of Knobs for the mission. I wish I remembered what more about that. And and that's what I love about about the the Nasty Boys is is no TV appearance was too meaningless for them to not show up and be goons. <laughs> that's pretty true. Uh, right, but so, let, let's talk about Giant Gonzalez. That's what I was going next to. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just, oh you said we we got a we got a former WCW wrestler, uh, famously uh, was a basketball player. And they they switched him from uh, being an Argentinian basketball player for uh, Ted's team for the Hawks. And he came in and he started doing terrible matches in WCW. And then, of course, Vince, who who can't get over guys of this size, see Great Khali, see Giant Silva, and now Giant Gonzalez, comes in and and is uh, in his bizarre Bigfoot body hairy suit with Harvey Whippleman. 
And, uh, you know, I think it's effective for as cartoonish and stupid as it is to see that visual of The Undertaker being dwarfed by Giant Gonzalez and just uh, to watch Undertaker have to sell that terrible uh, uh, offense and just know 20 more years of his life is going to be spent selling terrible offense like this from from big goons. Mm. Uh, Why does he hate The Undertaker? Because The Undertaker is unnatural. I have no idea. Well, I mean, that makes sense as anything, because also, Gorilla Monsoon keeps calling Giant Gonzalez an it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got fur all over him. It's a a human being. It's a man. What are you talking about right now? Whatever it is. You know, one thing that surprises me is when I'm looking at this here, I don't know if Gonzalez ever went and wrestled in Puerto Rico. And if there was ever a place that I would have expected them to, like, send a terrible wrestler who didn't know what to do for, like, a period of time, but be a draw in wrestling, it would have been to go to, like, Japan or Puerto Rico. And he did later go to New Japan, if you can believe that, in, like, 94, 95. Uh, But I'm just trying to see what he did kind of in between that WCW run and the WWF run. He really didn't do that much, though he – he did do a, uh, a Superstars taping where he beat up three jobbers at once, Dan Farron, Luis Piccoli, and Scott Bezo, and uh, beat Virgil a bunch on the house show. So unfortunate for Virgil there. Um, but yeah, this was this was pretty much the uh, end for uh, the Undertaker in this match. It was kind of shocking uh, to see, you know, Undertaker, who's, who's so big, they found a clever way of getting rid of him might have been stupid in the the long run because he's just not a marketable guy but hell everyone remembers the undertaker doppelganger match and the undertaker versus giant gonzalez matches mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm gonna get to that in just a second here just a recap so giant gonzalez comes out like i mentioned he hates the undertaker for whatever reason and then damien demento comes out but really it's all about giant gonzalez beating up the undertaker lots of referees try to get gonzalez out then I have to do a recap because I forgot that Backlund was still on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait a minute. And then at one point, IRS comes out. So I wrote down for my notes, recap for me. Demento, IRS, and Backlund still in. Not to yeah. go off. I wrote down Demento is smart. IRS is smart. You know, they're not getting in there. Not with an eight-foot Wookiee monster, so. Now he's a Wookiee? Okay. He looks like a Wookiee a little bit. Paul Bear comes out with the urn, and the Undertaker slowly gets up, and that's the end of that, except that I am now furious because they changed their own damn rule from last year. So last year, Randy Savage jumped from the top rope to the outside on Jake Roberts, and they were like, no, he's allowed back in because you have to be thrown out by someone specifically in the match. Gonzalez... Definitely not in this match. What the hell? That's true. Well, I always felt like that was just uh, uh, Macho Man, just honestly not having a clue what he was doing, and them just trying to desperately cover it. Didn't I mean, say it, that in we, the last one? we said that was one of two things that we thought, well, that you thought might have happened. I forgot what the other one was, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I also have a nine here. Heeman says, this was interesting. Heeman says, to Monsoon, when I, I guess in regards to IRS, they're talking about IRS. You're going to get audited. Monsoon's reply is this. I hope so. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Could be that Monsoon was thinking it was a sexual innuendo. <laughs> oh, God. What about what about the fact you have Tatanka coming out here? And, and keep in mind, this is still during Tatanka's undefeated streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he had uh, about less than a year earlier won that 40-man bashed in the USA uh, Battle Royal yeah. and, and, you know, won his feathers back and, and done all this other stuff. And, and he's not going to lose for another 10 months or so until Ludwig Borga shows up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's also one of those things where you have to you're putting a guy in there with an undefeated streak and at the same time you have to kind of be like well he's not going to win that's i completely forgot about that but yeah he doesn't win so he was defeated right and i've always found that weird not with the well not only with tatanka but anybody that has an undefeated streak in general like in a match like this is like does it really count because they're you know it's a royal rumble it's not a regular one-on-one wrestling match I've always found that weird. Well, I think that's when they start going with the very specific. He hasn't won in a singles match, or he hasn't won in one-on-one competition. Right. I think that's what happens there. There was was one comment that I found very weird, again, from Gorilla. And this is after Gonzalez leaves. And Demento and IRS and them, they get back in, and Gorilla's like, oh, well, the Royal Rumble resumes. And I'm like, was there a delay in the match that I didn't see or didn't know of? Because I think the match is still going. They didn't call like a weather delay or anything because somebody got beat up. Right. It made no sense, that comment. Mm-hmm. Chris, what do you have for this section? Anything else? Just that Terry Taylor, you know, the Red Rooster, he, he lasts like, what, 30 seconds mm-hmm. in the ring here before Ted DiBiase dumps him. Yep. So and that this is the very uh, end of, I, I think, when he I guess he, he kept working until August, but he really did not do very much. He was more of like a backstage guy for a while. And then he wrestled every now and then and then eventually shows up in WCW the next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I don't think he. Is the Red Rooster in this? No, he's not. He's just Terry Taylor. Yep. Well, at least they got him away from the Red Rooster. Game. He's terrific, Terry Taylor. Exactly. Is he terrific? I don't know about that. Well, yeah, that's I, what you... they call him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill, what else do you have for this section? Um, I think we're about to hit our time anyway, but go ahead. I, I just want to mention real quick, back to what Chris said with um, Giant Gonzalez in New Japan. There is a match on YouTube. If you guys can find it, I think it's still up there. Well, actually, I'll hold that thought. All right. So now we go to 21 through 25. 21, Typhoon. 22, Fatu. 23, Earthquake. 24, Carlos Colon. And 25, Tito Santana. And I have, during this segment, eliminated Typhoon, Demento, and Fat 2. Bill, we'll have you start off the discussion this time. Okay. I just wanted to, uh, to finish what I was going to say. There is a match, and I kid you not, this actually happened. Eligante versus Nails. Yes, hmm. I've seen this. It is a five-minute <laughs> match. It is terrible. It's not one of the worst matches I've ever seen, but it's a bad match. Where is the scene? It's I thought New Japan. New Japan, I think. Yeah. New Japan had really bizarre 
groupings of people. And I'm wondering if that's when WCW also had nails working for them. They signed him up as the prisoner and then they didn't want him anymore. And they basically paid him not to wrestle and they might have sent him to New Japan as quote unquote a favor. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an ugly scene for sure. Okay. I had first off, and this is a shout out. What's a Tatanka? Oh, God. <laughs> Jim knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, it's an old reference. It's an old reference. Uh, basically, somebody legitimately asked us on one of the shows a long time ago, "What's a Tatanka?" What is a Tatanka? That is, that is a legitimate question. <laughs> so we we had to explain that. Um, <laughs> then, oh, the youngster Carlos Colon. Oh my God! Can you believe Monsoon <laughs> says this? Like. Carlos Colon is 45 at the time in this match. And yes, he does look like a tiny man. Like he, they, it, his build height is 5'10. And in that ring, he looks like maybe he's 5'5. Five five. He looks tiny and he looks anemic at, compared to these other people. I actually agree with that. I agree with that. And, and he's wearing that kind of like, you know, Andre the Giant uh, uh, singlet, isn't he? Like yeah. the, uh, yeah. and, and it's not a good look. It's, it's not a good, but I mean, I'm sure it's like his look. But again, you're in California. You're you're not, you know, doing this in Florida. You're not doing this in Puerto Rico. You're not necessarily in a town that's going to like be like, "Oh my god, there's Carlos Colon, a uh, legendary Puerto Rican super champion." And, you know, Gorilla Monsoon has enormous roots uh in in the Puerto Rican territory and, and all sorts of other things. But this is one of the most like head-scratching things is the fact that Colon is in this match along with Backlund, along with Lawler, along with Flair. <laughs> along with Tenru. You know, these are all champions from around the world, along with Undertaker, former WWF champion. Um, And, uh, you know, if you want to go back even further, Mr. Perfect, AWA champion. uh, And then later, uh, Rick Martel comes in, another AWA champion. Uh, But it's just so bizarre with that in there. And so, yeah, Cologne... Cologne, as a youngster, you're just like, what is going on? And this is, I think you said that you thought Monsoon might be slipping, and he does seem to be slipping in this one. I did not find this to be peak Monsoon Heenan at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only have here, why are Typhoon and Earthquake fighting? It's every man for himself. Oh, but what? They can eliminate everyone else, and then each of them equally have a chance to win. I was it's, confused by that, too, because I originally – because they, they, they called him Tugboat for a second, and then they switched it to Typhoon. I was like, which which one is this right now? Isn't he Typhoon? And, you know, <laughs> part of it is that he doesn't le- uh, remain in uh, WWF for much longer. They've already lost the belt, and, uh, you know, Earthquake eventually leaves a little bit later, and then not long after this, he becomes the Shockmaster and shows up in WCW. <laughs> so you, this is one of the later teams. I love a good Haas battle. So – when Typhoon and Earthquake start running spots, I love it. Uh, just them going after each other, just, you know, really, really digging in. And just the fact that the other guys kind of have to stay out of their way to make sure they don't, like, get collided. But, you know, you can kind of forget that this is already, like, year three of the natural disasters by this point. So mm. this is not a new gimmick for the two of them. And and it does make me yearn a little bit more of, like, I did really enjoy Earthquake as a character. But you can kind of feel like it feels stale at this point. Right. Uh, I also have here that Heenan thinks Fatu threw himself out. Yep. <laughs> yep. Did he? No. Backland moved out of the way, or I think he threw Fatu out. One of the two. Because my the, my next note here then was Savage Rule question mark. 
Nope, not not a plug right. in this one. All right, all right, that's fair. I mean, I, mean, and, I missed and, it obviously. And Rikishi's only about twenty eight at this time. Uh, but you, you just talk about there's there's these people in wrestling who have had a gazillion gimmicks. There's Ed Leslie, there's uh, Barry Darso, there's Rikishi. And um, it's just always shocking to me, just like, you know, watching an old thing like this and be like, oh, my God, that's the same guy over and over and over again. And whether he's the Sultan, whether he's Fatu, doing the right thing, Fatu, whether he's Rikishi, whether Rikishi Fatu, it's just it's shocking to me. Sometimes you see these guys and you just think, wow, somehow you stuck around for 10 years. You found a way to keep getting reinvented. Right. Uh, and then there's also I don't think his name actually changed. I think it was just Fatu, where it was make a difference. Fatu. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought he I, I I took even for his word for some reason, and so I thought maybe Fatu did throw himself <laughs> out. Bill, what else do you have for this segment? I wrote down that Backlund is starting to get fan support in this at this point because early like when he comes out. Like, there's no pop. It's almost like, who is this guy? And then right at about this point, there are some fans that are chanting his name, and there are people, like, cheering him on Mm -hmm. just because of how long he's been in there. And it's amazing how here's a guy who – what what age was he again, guys? 43 years old. Okay, 43. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, hasn't – been in a WWF ring in like 10 years, comes back, No, none of us, and when I mean us in general, I mean the younger fans, know who he really is, and he goes into this match, he's number two, no one knows who he is, and he has, you know, he's still in there, and the fans are really starting to get behind him at this point. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess it's because it's like something special. We're like, oh yeah, you, who is this? What? What? He's still in there. Sort of like when, sort of like with Butch mm-hmm. from 1989. When I was like, oh my god, he's still there. It's great. I think that's probably what they were feeling. Obviously, Backlund in there much longer than Butch, mm-hmm. but that's probably what it was. Chris, what do you think? Well, they had made such a big deal the year before about Ric Flair's longevity. So we had we had established this as a gimmick too that you know being in there for a long time means a lot and it's a record to break and whatnot. So I, I think that in a certain way it helped because Flair the year before made it seem really exciting to be that old guy who is still hanging with them. Mm-hmm. So I think he's he's living a little bit off of that to be honest. Right. But also what I think is remarkable is the fact that after this match. Backlund holds that record for like 11 years, which is a long time because they didn't like they would pull the longevity card out, but they wouldn't do it to where the the person would go an hour or go over an hour. So that's a bit of a testament to Bob Backlund at 43 to have done that to go this long, this far at what wrestling fans if you think about it would consider an old age oh yeah yeah it's sort of i i think age became a much more flair i mean a much more uh vince focused thing is that honestly a lot of 
um, territories were used to having a champion that was actually pretty old mm-hmm. because a lot of times that's the guy that owns part of the territory and didn't want to travel and he could be relied upon not to you know basically uh, leave the territory and, and embarrass them. And so you did actually have a lot of territories that would have guys that were champions well past their quote-unquote prime. Um, but I think WWF was always some, somewhere where they're like, no, we want the young guy. We want the hot guy. And then, you know, people forget how old Hogan was even getting by this point. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's, it goes back to what I was saying about the WCW thing. It's just I think that was nailed in more than anything that, you know, we, there are guys and we don't have them anymore because they, they were no good anymore. They were past their prime. This is the new generation. Like that. So you're like, yeah, he's always pushed like. In age, well, not all, I guess recently, not really, but he's there's always been an age thing. Like it's it, it has always been there. Um, real quick, I want to mention that the next episode we're doing is. All right, and that is the last time we use the countdown. 26 through 30, 26, Rick Martel, 27, Yokozuna, 28, Owen Hart, 29, Repo Man, and number 30, Randy Savage. And we are going to make our way to the final four. So for now, here's who was eliminated. IRS, um, Tatanka, Cologne, Earthquake, Santana, Sags, Hart, Repo Man. Uh, And what I was saying before is even though we're going to be spinning the wheel in just a little bit, the next episode is just going to be me and Bill kind of going over the first couple of episodes we've done and what we've learned and, you know, what just things we observed in in general. And then after that, we'll get into the four picks that will be made uh, in just a little bit via the wheel. Uh, Chris, why don't you start with this one? Like I said, we're going to make our way to the final four. So um, don't touch on that yet. Oh, see, now i got to figure out which who were the final four. I'm trying to remember now. Um, you know, I, I remember that uh, – let's just see here. Uh, I might have I'll, to... I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it to you. It's Martel, Savage, Backlund, and Yokozuna. Okay. So uh, Owen Hart takes a great bump uh, getting eliminated here, and Owen Hart is also in his high-energy gear. Uh, so that's that. Uh, you have Tito Santana hanging out there, and it's just like – Another example of someone who's kind of like an icon from the 80s, still kind of lingering into the 90s here, but really didn't feel like that old of a guy. I mean, mm-hmm. at this year, Tito was only 40 at this time. So, I mean, he, he, uh, you know, was for a guy who had won the 89 King of the Ring and whatnot. He's still hanging in there and doing all right. Um, it, it's, it's fine. You can always feel the energy kind of lagging by this point. And so it, it was fine how things were going when we get to the final four. And especially when you get to the final combination, things got good, but I, I did feel like things were really, uh, like dipping in terms of energy for a little while towards the last five. And of course I have, as a big time now, well, we have earthquake versus Yokozuna, yeah. but more importantly, which, which was funny because you, because Yokozuna has the name of a sumo wrestler but yokozuna as far as i know never wrestled sumo exactly whereas john tenta did go to japan and wrestled uh as a sumo wrestler and kind of got into wrestling partially through that because they they wanted him uh and so i just think it's really funny that like you you have 
you know, basically Tenta trying to walk him through how to do sumo in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, though, as well, more importantly, Bill, Tito and Martel going at it. <laughs> yeah, and, and Martel and Martel finally gets the upper hand on Santana. Good for you, Martel. Way to up for yourself. I have a question. This is, like, legitimate. Either I don't remember or you guys just help me out here. Tito Santana versus Martel. They've been fighting. They didn't fight last year, but I guarantee if they were in the same ring for at least five seconds, they, they would have fought each other. Right. They Did they ever actually have a one-on-one at a big event? If I remember correctly... They were originally going to have a one-on-one at SummerSlam in 90. But storyline purposes, Martel pulled out because he had modeling commitments in Paris. Okay. I think in reality, I think he had like a minor injury or something. They they did wrestle on a, a Saturday night main event in 89. They wrestled on a wrestling challenge in 90. And they wrestled at the main event for kind of like a Saturday Night Main Event type show in 90. Uh, so they, they did wrestle each other in singles matches, and the only definitive uh, uh, finish of those three was Rick Martel beating Tito. The other two were by DQ and double DQ. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right, because I, I, I was curious about this. Like, I don't think they ever fought, but it sounds like they did, so thank you very much. Backlund is still in. Everyone tries to eliminate Yokozuna. That's a it good spot. It is unsuccessful. What do you have, Bill? Well, actually, um, real quick, because we get one of my favorite lines, I think, ever in the Royal Rumble when they try to eliminate Yoko, where Gorilla's like, I hope the ring doesn't tip over! Because, <laughs> well, I, to be fair, he's got a point. I mean, Yoko's 500 pounds, and then you take the other six or seven. And, um, I had, when Earthquake and Yoko fought each other, when it started, the arena was shaking. Like, mm-hmm. for like a brief moment, the arena was shaking. Which I think is a cool thing. Because, you know, now today, because of how structurally the new arenas are so much stronger, you, you can't really have that anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the older arenas, you could do that. Um, and then when people go after Bob Backlund, I was like, don't hurt Bob! Don't hurt Bob. <laughs> and then, and then one one more note. Gorilla Monsoon says hell because like he was like, oh, Backlund's putting up a hell of an effort. I don't think I ever heard Gorilla say that ever, and it surprised me. All right, Chris, you have anything to add before we get to the final four here? No. Okay, so like I mentioned, we have Martel versus Savage versus Backlund versus Yokozuna. Backlund eliminates Martel, and then Yokozuna eliminates Backlund. That leaves it to Yokozuna and Savage. Yokozuna wins, and I know I gave Bill a heads up on this question, so I'm going to now ask it. Well, it's not even a question. I'm sorry. It's more of a comment. Well, yeah, more and I just want to see. I want to see if you guys agree with me. This... Is it why did Randy Savage try to pin Yokozuna? <laughs> No, it's it's not actually. Well, I, I guess that's technically part of what I'm going to say. This is the worst booked I've ever seen Randy Savage in any promotion. This should have been what pushed him to WCW. Ooh. 
let's recap what Randy Savage does. First off, he's number 30. Right. Now, I know, which isn't true because we've known the history of this Rumble match, and the later numbers are actually worse so far. That's true. That's true. In fact, again, I'll go back to Coco Beware in 88, having the shortest time and getting the best number. Um, So he goes, he fights Yokozuna. He gets his, he does his finisher, the, the elbow drop. And then as Chris mentioned, he pins him. So after that, Yoko just kind of lifts him and pushes him out. So in one segment, we have his finisher doesn't mean anything anymore. He's an idiot because he pinned the guy. And he had the biggest advantage over everyone that was in this match in number 30, or storyline-wise, that's the case. Yeah, that's what I meant earlier, was storyline-wise. I can't think of any in any promotion that Savage has been booked versus. But, but keep in mind, what did he do after this? He didn't really wrestle he, he was a substitute at the survivor series and then he shows up in the 94 and he works wrestlemania 10 but he, he was pretty much a color commentator at the time and so if you think of him more as like a you know a legend as a special guest star you know it makes sense to me to say you got one guy you're trying to push you want to put him over by having him destroy the the unstoppable going against the unstoppable monster and the unstoppable monster destroys the legend. I mean that's that's booking one oh one. But I feel so I, good. I, I I guess my point is that they're not trying to go to town on on making Randy Savage a current wrestler that you're gonna use a lot. And so I thought he was used perfectly because if this had ended as Backlund versus Yokozuna, you saw how lame Backlund looked when he got eliminated. It right, wasn't that yeah. good. And you know what? The, the audience wasn't behind him when, versus when Savage came out, they were behind him. And so at least you had the drama. And to me, it's like, wow, you're building up Yokozuna to be a big deal. Yeah, I definitely disagree with that because the fact that I, I – and I guess maybe I, I could be wrong because I wasn't watching it this time. I still considered – I would think that people would still consider Savage in a wrestler role and not – like I feel like his commentator days are more like – mid this year to later this year like it's like i agree that's going to be transitioning from one to the other but also you couldn't have just had like fuji hit him with a, with like the flag as he goes off the ropes of yoko's like why make his finisher look bad why make him look like an idiot by having him pin yokozuna I, that's the part i don't understand but if- <laughs> i don't think they told him to do that i think that's savage again going to, to business for himself you don't think they had him do the elbow no, I think in the end of the elbow, but I, I just think that Savage had proven with earlier Royal Rumbles that he just kind of does his routine regardless of what the rules are for that match. Plus, if but, you think about it, after he hits the elbow, how is he going to pick up 500 pounds? That's true, but it's not like Yokozunas lies there. I guess that's my problem. Like, it's basically, yeah, the elbow's nothing. Because he basically gets up, even if we take away the pin, and I guess the plan would have been Yokozuna gets up and just throws him out. And and I thought this was during the time that, like, maybe Savage didn't want to be a wrestler anymore, and he wanted to do other things. And, like, might also be when he wanted to be getting off of um, steroids to uh, 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 have a kid and things like that. Uh, so I, I, I wasn't that. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah, he never. Yeah, he never had kids, unfortunately. I never but, heard anything about him like, oh, yeah, settle down, have a family either. I never heard anything about like that, any of that. 
But I, I've heard that before, that there was a time where he didn't want to be on steroids because he wanted to have kids. And so okay. that was part of what he was trying to do. And I can't remember if this is during the time. But keep in mind, this is the post-steroids uh, uh, scandal era. And so there, there's that concern in WWF for guys like Savage that are like, I can't keep up my physique. I'm not going to look the way that I'm going to look if I'm off that. And they're in that kind of bizarre place. So they would rather have a commentator contract, not have to be on the road all the time, mm-hmm. and still get paid really well. So I, I do think that some of these people were changing kind of their mentality towards what they thought of their role in the company. Uh, but, I mean, it feels to me more like you just don't like Yokozuna. No, I don't mind Yokozuna at all. No, I just don't like that they made Savage look so terrible. Like, I just don't – I mean, I will say this. Is Yokozuna – the? and I was talking to Bill about this off the air. Is Yokozuna the quickest person to get pushed? Because from what I understand, he debuted in October. And this is only – this is January. And I was trying to think of someone that maybe was quicker. I was going to say Brock Lesnar, but I even think that was maybe by two months. Well, let's think. Okay. Uh, well, and, and with, even with Brock, Brock, you have to keep in mind, he got signed out of college, That's true. sent to OVW, and his he had a quarter million dollar guarantee contract when he went to OVW. He was not wrestling on a $20,000 contract. That's true. So Brock was always designated for greatness, and even as early as, as um, the last days of high school, and I know this because Brock's from Minnesota, where I live, and I've seen like newspaper reports. You'll find references to him and wrestling going back to high school because he was such a beast of a man. What, what's amazing with Yokozuna is people forget he was born in '66. So at this time, he's coming out and uh, let's see, what's the math there on '66 to '93? Six twenty-seven. Yeah, so he's he's a very young man. Uh, but yes, the, he was very quick to kind of join the company and, and become a big deal. But is he the quickest? That's what I'm asking. Well, I think he well he wins the title at WrestleMania and I like in six like that whole time I think is like six months. Agreed. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, you know anyone that's quicker than that? I mean, you could say that the uh, Big Show, you know, won his his very first match. Well, true, but well, yeah. In WCW, well, what did he, but what did he debut? In July. Oh, and he took Halloween Havoc. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, the bad time. I think that's I think that's a good argument can be made. So maybe just WWE then the quickest one. I would say either him or Brock, honestly. When did Brock debut? March, and then he would win in August, so like five months. Also, maybe it's Brock. All right, but not by much. It's it's very close. It's very close. I thought Brock was actually around earlier, to be honest with you, like a little longer before he actually won. But I guess I. But to go real quick on the Randy Savage thing, yes. I'm going to make an argument for where this was a little bit better because of what would happen the next night. Because I've seen the the episode of Raw the next night after this show. Okay. And it's not because of who he faces. It's the face? re- Well, he faces the Repo Man, but I'm going to tell you <laughs> the reason why. Re- Repo Man steals Randy Savage's hat. And Randy Savage wants a match with the Repo Man because Repo Man stole his hat for no reason. Okay. So, I'd I'd rather go with what happened here than fighting over a dumb, probably not dumb, but a hat, you know. I'd rather have the hat. But also at the same time, when I'm watching the ending, I'm like, 
please just end this. We know who's going to win. Right. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. end this. Yeah, no, but going back to it real quick. So, yeah, no, I definitely don't have a problem with Yokozuna. If, if anything, like in later episodes, you're going to hear me have a very big problem with Triple H. There's a very big difference. Um, I, like I said, I just thought me, I just, I can't think of another time where I'm like, wow, Savage looks really bad there. So that's all I'm saying. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on the Rumble, both of you? Let's start with Chris. You know, it's great because it sets the standard for what is the purpose of the Royal Rumble, which is, you know, to get the title shot and also to make it clear who should deserve it. So you can pretty much say Yokozuna dominated and made sense for him to be a challenger in this. This was not a a BS finish or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. So I, I appreciated that. I liked the fact that they played on the stories of, you know, Flair lasted the longest, so the next year Backlund lasts the longest. Like I say, I think it's amazing when you think about the fact that they had maybe 10 different major champions who came into this company at one point, Bob Backlund, Ric Flair, Rick Martell, Kurt Hennig, Randy Savage, Rick uh, uh, Undertaker, Tenru, uh, uh, Lawler. You have all these important people who are in the match here. So that's kind of fascinating to me, too. So I like the legacy of it and, and Cologne. Um, but in terms of the work and the excitement, it lagged in places and it didn't, it felt very uneven. It didn't feel like it was the the top talent all the time. And it was very clear that this is a company in transition. Like the way the roster looks now and the way the lo- roster looked a year earlier and the year after would be so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill, what about you? I feel like this is a bit of a mixed bag for me because mm-hmm. there are some good moments in this, in this match uh, Flair and Backlund starting it, obviously, uh, was a great beginning. It, it's a very good beginning. Um, Perfect dominates for a little bit. Undertaker dominates for a little bit. And then Yokozuna dominates the, the rest of the way. But then you also have, you know, like, head scratchers and what are they thinking. Like, Max Moon is out in like and, and eliminated in less than two minutes. The whole Giant Gonzalez thing the ending to the match it's just a mixed bag it, it to mm-hmm. me it's a mixed bag there's some good but there's also some bad in it yeah uh i will say this and i don't mean this as it's gonna sound like a very disparaging remark even though I'm, i don't really mean it to be that way is i will say that of the ones we watched this might be my least favorite one i'd agree um but it's tr- but i mean like Versus maybe the 2010s, like this may hold up more. I don't know. We didn't get there yet. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll get there in just a little bit when we spin the wheel. Um, but yeah, I definitely was more like, eh, I think I'm ready to be for it to be over at certain times than I was with others. You know. Um, before we go any further, I actually stumbled upon a couple things on Wikipedia for this okay. event and the and the match in particular, the, the match in particular, and the event. Um, and I'll only there's two reviews on here, and I'm only going to mention the Royal Rumble match part for both of them. So the first one is from Adam Gutschmidt, who wrote for Online Onslaught. He disliked the Royal Rumble match because there were too many tag team wrestlers that were included, few exciting moments, and Giant Gonzalez did not help the match. Okay. Scott Keith 
reviewed this uh, event for 411 Mania. He called the Royal Rumble match one of the worst in history as he found the match or as he found much of the match boring and did not enjoy the debut of Gonzalez. And then pay-per-view buy rates. They got a 1.25, which is lower than last year's, 92s. However, it's going to be the highest buy rate they have for the Royal Rumble match because 94 to 98 are lower than this one. Now, Chris, I have a question for you in regard because I know that you said Bill just said uh, versus 92, and I know that you're like a stats guy. So, from what I had thought I read the other day, 92 actually was a big drop off from the previous one. Is that correct? I, as I recall, yeah. I, I I don't have all the numbers sitting in front of me here, but it is important to remember this is when WWF is going into a financial decline. And that they are struggling, and this is where they're starting to run shows and smaller arenas. This is where they're starting to work more with uh, everyone from Smoky Mountain Wrestling to uh, USWA. And they actually start getting to a point when they're you know, beginning to go negative in the, their cash flow. And so it is not a great point for, for WWF, and this is why they call this you know, the dark days, the dark era, where a lot of people kind of stopped watching uh, wrestling because they found it – you know, they were tainted by the fact that the steroid trial was going on and there was a loss of kind of the big guys. And Bret Hart might be a good worker, but he was never a top, top draw when it came to like really driving the business forward right. uh, at this time. So it, it's just a very and at the same time, they're out there in like, you know, northern California running this pay-per-view. And, uh, you know, I remember Dave Meltzer at the time wrote that Texan uh, the Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view from 91 probably was the lowest buy rate of any uh, uh, Titan pay-per-view in history. But this was probably the lowest up to this point, even compared to like the 92 Survivor Series. Um, And at the time, what's also important to remember is that WWF was beginning to increase the pay-per-view prices. And so sometimes they were actually drawing a lot of money, even when the, the buy rates were going down. Because they were actually getting more money from what they did. And that was one of the biggest lessons that Titan learned over time was that you're going to lose people, but you almost always will make money when you raise your prices as long as you don't do it during a recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only reason I even brought this up with, with Bill's thing is is because the way you made it sound, Bill, was like, yeah, the ni- 93 Rumble was down, but, cause, but you know, 92s was great. But it really wasn't. It no. actually was down from 91. And I don't think you meant it that way, but I'm just saying yeah. I want to throw yeah, that out it, there. Yeah, I didn't mean it like, you know, 92 was like a 3. You know, it was, I actually have a hero. It was a 1.8 for 92. And 93 is a 1.25. Right, yeah. but it was but 92 was down from 91. That was what I'm trying to, right. was trying to say. No, is, yeah, and, and, and you have to also keep in mind, the buy rate is the percentage of people that can purchase a pay-per-view that are capable of being able to access it. And as that universe grows, you actually can end up with a higher number of people that can purchase it, even though your buy rate is going down. So so you have to you always have to look at the three factors. What is the total number of people that can purchase it? What is the price of that pay-per-view? And what is the buy rate? And so that three-piece combination can sometimes lead to things where you can say, oh my God, look at the 87, you know, uh, uh, WrestleMania. It was huge. But what you're forgetting to keep in mind is that later years, there's a, much more people who are able to access it at a much higher price point. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to bring out the wheel. We are actually going to be selecting four shows that we're doing because the holiday season's coming up, so we want to, We probably won't be around as much during that. As it's going to turn out, uh, I'm going to spin twice, and then I'm going to pick one of the two. Then I'm going to spin again, and then it's going to be Chris's turn, then Bill's turn, and then for the final one... It's going to be a vote from three of us to see uh, which one is the last one. I do want everyone to keep in mind, even if your, even if the rumble that it lands on wasn't selected, eventually it's going to get done. Just not this one. All right, so let me go first, and this is the first choice. I don't know if people can hear the wheel spinning at all, but. So the greatest Royal Rumble is one of them for my first pick of the thing. Now, the second one, that's an option. Here we go. I'm going to go 2002 is the second option. So now for me, of the two, I'm going to go with the greatest Royal Rumble. It is the most recent one, and that will balance out all these early shows that we've done of the 80s and the early 90s. All right. Chris, you are going to have the next choice. 2002 will not be part of this because, um, well, it was already picked on and just didn't win. All, All right, right, Chris, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I like your real sound. So the first one is 2013. And then your other choice... I like that Chris is going to be determining the fate of someone else's show, by the way. Yeah. The 2018 Men's Royal Rumble. Mm. Oh, well, we're going to have to definitely do uh, 2013. Uh, and uh, you can enjoy it for its it for everyone from uh, Antonio Cenzaro with a full name and Brodus Clay hanging out in there. So that, that, hey, that'll be fun for them. You really sold me. All right, Bill. You're... All right. Here you go. Let's see. What one of your choices is gonna be? Okay, we get two thousand four is your first option. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, the other one's ninety nine. All right. So of those two, which one do you want? I want the O four Rumble. Okay. And then this one's the one we're gonna vote on. I apologize to people. I don't know why it doesn't take options out like it was supposed to. And alright, this is gonna be Hey, that's a new one. Two thousand. And here it is, the last one that's gonna be in consideration for the next four shows as we build to episode thirteen. A ninety-five. So the last choice that we got to make, guys, is 2000 or 1995, and I'm going to give Bill the first vote, then Chris, and then me. Oh, I'm going to go 2000. Okay, Chris, what about you? I'm staying with 2000. That was actually, I think, the first pay-per-view I ever bought myself, and uh, it's a a fun pay-per-view. All right, very good. So the next four episodes, other than the the special that we're going to have next, is The Greatest Royal Rumble... Royal Rumble 2013, 
2004 and 2000. Uh, and yeah, so that's, by the way, the way that we spun today, that does not reflect the order in which the episodes will air. That will be figured out at a later date. All right, Bill, why don't you, um, or Chris, give some final plugs before we head out of here. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Mukigana, and you can go to WrestleNomics.com and be able to uh, hear our premium show, and we also do a free show every week. You can hear over at Audio Boom or go to VoicesOfWrestling.com. All right, and as far as I go, you can visit ThatsPodcasting.com uh, and also on Instagram and Twitter at ThatsPodcasting. Bill, why don't you give your final plugs and then head us out of here. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at House of Bill. You can also check out my podcast, That Wrestling Show, which airs each and every Friday. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode, and the 1993 Royal Rumble has been eliminated.